Hello, my name is John Hamel. Welcome to the Association of Domestic Violence Intervention Programs ongoing series of podcasts on Intimate Partner Violence, or IPV. The Association of Domestic Violence Intervention Programs, more commonly known by its acronym ADVIP, is an international organization of batter intervention programs and mental health professionals who provide treatment for perpetrators of IPV, as well as researchers with an expertise in the field. The purpose of ADVIP is to advance evidence-based practice and lower rates of intimate partner violence in our communities. In this podcast series, various experts offer their thoughts, research findings, and clinical experience on topics related to the causes, characteristics, consequences, assessment, and treatment of IPV. Podcast number one and additional selected podcasts are available for free to everyone. Others are free only to ADVIP members. To join ADVIP, go to www.domesticviolenceintervention.net and click on the Join ADVIP link on our homepage. Again, go to www.domesticviolenceintervention.net. Thank you for listening. Hello, this is Eric Bobro, Online Services Manager for the Association of Domestic Violence Intervention Programs, or ADVIP. This is podcast number one. Our topic today is bridging the gap between research and treatment in IPV intervention, the Association of, of Domestic Violence Intervention Programs. I'll be interviewing John Hamel, founder of ADVIP. Hey, John. Hey, Eric. How are you? Good, good. Uh, let's get started. The Association of Domestic Violence Intervention Programs, also known by its acronym ADVIP, has been around for several years now. As its founder and primary spokesperson, what can you tell us about the organization? Well, let, let me backtrack just briefly first, Eric, and just uh, tell you that um, I actually began to work with perpetrators of intimate partner violence about 25 years ago um, when I agreed to take over a colleague's caseload. Uh, at that time, my colleague, uh, we shared an office, was working with men who had been mandated by the criminal court to attend a batter intervention program. He was doing, I believe, a 12-week or 16-week program. Um, so the training that my colleague initially provided me was very brief, and it was based on uh, the so-called Duluth model, which is pretty well known amongst batter intervention providers. Um, although he did throw in some practical cognitive behavioral interventions, for example, anger management, communication skills training, and so forth. So uh, I still found myself having to learn mostly on the job. So I sought additional training, which I got mostly from the local domestic violence council or from the local batter women's shelter. And I also networked uh, with some of my colleagues, uh, in other words, other men and women who were doing batter intervention in the county, uh, and also networking at probation meetings because probation supervises all the programs, still does, uh, and they get together, the probation people get together with the providers uh, quarterly to discuss matters related to intervention. But uh, the problem was that I quickly found there was a kind of a disconnect between the formal training I was getting in other words, what I was told on, on what would be the best ways, best practices for treating these men uh, arrested for domestic violence, 
uh, and my own personal experiences with them. There was a there, what I was learning didn't seem to match uh, the realities of the groups and the men I was working with. Can you uh, tell us a little bit more by what you mean by a disconnect? Well, what I mean is, uh, for example, uh, I've been told that it was I should expect that the men in the group would be in, in denial about their violence, um, and that if they denied or questioned the police reports or seemed to be minimizing what they had done in any way, that I, I should just see this as just a typical uh, minimization and denial, and I should not believe them. Um, so, but the problem, the problem, uh, Eric, is that after I took over the groups, um, wasn't long after that that California laws changed, and we then started to see these these men for thirty two weeks. And then a few few years later, it was fifty two weeks. So, uh, after a few years, I started to get to know these guys for a longer period of time, and my clinical intuition suggested that at least some of these men, when they were giving a different version of what happened that might have differed from the police report, that they they were uh, they seemed pretty honest to me. Um, so I had some questions about um, uh, whether my my approach was was appropriate. In other words, were these guys the unilateral sole uh, batterers in a relationship, or was it possible that they were involved? Some at least some of them in uh, mutually escalating type of the training I had been getting wasn't uh, addressing that that problem of mutual violence. Let me give you some specific examples of of how the training I was receiving wasn't really working very well for me. Um, so in addition to being told that these men were all in denial, and by the way, many of them, in fact, probably most of them were either in denial or at least minimizing their behavior on their end. That's that's certainly the case, uh, still is today. Uh, but uh, additionally, I was trained uh, to uh, believe that uh, there was one cycle of violence, one cycle of violence uh, as postulated by Lenore Walker back in the 1970s, um, that each of these guys was supposed to fit. In other words, the men that were my groups uh, were supposed to fit a certain profile of uh, have, uh, going through a build-up phase where they would be around their partners, they would increasingly become agitated um, over time as they didn't get their way or they didn't know how to deal with routine conflicts and then this build-up phase would then go into the next phase which is a blow-up phase where they would attack their partner either verbally or physically and then afterwards there would be a contrition stage where they felt really bad also known as the uh, uh, the the sort of the flower stage where they give their partner flowers or profusely apologize and um, so some of my clients did seem to fit that profile but others did not um, so for example some of them uh, the more antisocial ones, they didn't seem to be much of a buildup. They just went from zero to hundred instantly, and there was so they they were violent, but then they didn't seem to be very apologetic. Now that was kind of a minority of them. Much more common, uh, my my clients described uh, <clears throat> patterns of uh, escalating conflict where they and their partners sort of mutually escalated. We now know that this kind of violence. Uh, uh, is very is very pervasive. It's probably the most common type of intimate partner violence. It's what Michael Johnson calls situational violence or common couple violence. Um, also, uh, the other uh, 
very ubiquitous uh, training uh, sort of material was the so-called power and control wheel. So in addition to the three-phase cycle, the power and control wheel, very prominent in my early training. And um, so a list of the way, list of the ways that men try to control their female partners. And, um, and that worked, that was pretty, that was good. That was helpful, but um, it, it didn't address um, the power and control tactics of abusive women, for example. Um, and I couldn't find a lot of research on the power and control wheel. In other words, did it apply to uh, same-sex relationships or only heterosexual relationships? There's a section in the power and control wheel about uh, male privilege. What about female privilege? What about people who are just controlling regardless of their genders, regardless of whether they identify with their gender or, or not? So anyway, um, I just thought that for the most part, the uh, the training I was getting was was um, overly uh, influenced by uh, uh, feminist ideology as opposed to social science research. So can you expand a little bit about feminist uh, ideology and uh, how this relates to what you discovered? Sure, sure. So let, let's be clear. Uh, I'm a I'm a hardcore feminist, and I have been since the 1960s. Um, so, uh, but in all countries, uh, you know, to some degree or another, women struggle to enjoy the same rights as men, and I support those efforts. The problem is that the people who believe that intimate partner violence is all about male subjugation of women rather than, you know, the complex uh, phenomenon that it really is, uh, many of these people self-identify as feminists. So they call themselves feminist researchers or feminist uh, therapists. Um, but uh, the problem is the assumption that those who challenge their point of view are not feminists or somehow are they're dangerous to women, as I've been accused. That assumption is absurd. The interventions that um, should be conducted should be based on the research evidence. So most of the top IPV research scholars, Eric, uh, you should know are uh, who are challenging the feminist paradigm are actually women. And uh, although I haven't taken an official poll, I'm pretty sure they're all feminists. Um, but uh, so, you know, voting for politicians who will advance women's rights, um, you know, that's what I do. And I'm pretty sure that's what my colleagues do. Um, so that's how you advance feminist causes is you, you defend women's rights, which has very little to do with, um, you know, trying to hold perpetrators accountable. So anyway, so I told you about my early training and uh, some of the problems I have with the training. Um, so I went ahead and I decided to do my own research. And uh, in those days, uh, I didn't have a PhD and I, I was a clinician. I didn't have access to uh, peer-reviewed scholarly journals. So but I got a few articles from some colleagues and um, looked up some of the references in those articles. Eventually, I started to go to the UC Berkeley Library or the J JFK University Libraries and uh, pretended to be a student and would go into the literature, literature stacks uh, where the journals are located. And I, would, uh, and I started uh, to look up some of these references. And uh, eventually, I became the 
editor-in-chief of the peer-reviewed journal Parton Reviews, and so now it's much easier for me to uh, access research whenever I want. Okay, so uh, what did you find? As- well, okay, so my suspicions that the uh, the Duluth model was a uh, flawed uh, uh, were uh, supported. Uh, I found that the Duluth model... Um, uh, was one, you know, possible way of helping certain men, but by no means the only, uh, you know, possibly effective model. In fact, it was found to, to not be as promising as models like CBT, which, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which takes into account research on, for example, uh, personality, human development, you know, all the risk factors for IPV and so forth. Um, so, um, so in my, uh, the inter- in the uh, second edition of my book, Evidence-Based Treatment for Intimate Partner Abuse, um, I cite some of the research I found finding some uh, major problems in, in, uh, in uh, the fact sheets, for example, put out by major, uh, advocacy organizations. So for example, the, uh, the councils against domestic violence, the national councils and all the state councils, uh, you know, have fact sheets on their websites to inform people about domestic violence. And a colleague of mine, Denise Hines, uh, did a study on these fact sheets and found that uh, there were a lot of errors. Uh, for example, they routinely would publish information suggesting that uh, domestic violence is perpetrated by men 85% of the time, where in fact it's about 50% of the time. Uh, there was... I did other research with some other colleagues eventually uh, and found all kinds of discrepancies between uh, the fact sheets, what they said on the, for example, on the website for the American Bar Association and uh, what research has, researchers had actually found. Uh, we, we also found that even mental health professionals, uh, you know, have mistaken beliefs and assumptions about domestic violence. Uh, there was a, a large uh, national survey that I conducted about 10 years ago with uh, family court professionals finding that the average family court professional could was not more informed about domestic violence uh, than the average college student. So the list goes on. Um, I started to um, conduct... Th- all this research formerly uh, in the early 2000s and uh, still conducting research today. So as you shared your findings in front of people and in groups and articles, how were you received? Did you get different reactions depending upon the group you were presenting to? For example, advocates for battered women as opposed to probation or your batterer intervention colleagues? Uh, well, as you can imagine, I you know, I got more pushback from the uh, the uh, victims' advocates, uh, but not all of them. You know, many of the batter women's advocates uh, simply just didn't really know about the general domestic violence research. Uh, so, I was able to make uh, some inroads with some of these individuals when we had a chance to get to know one another on a personal level, and um, so I would recognize their uh, expertise in in working with batter women and. Many of them were very eager to find out about battered men, but but having said that, a number of them seemed very close-minded. Um, 
I got less pushback from probation uh, and, and the least pushback probably from my batter intervention colleagues. So other people that do this kind of work were a little bit more open-minded to, you know, the research that I was um, sharing with them, which mostly had to do with, you know, rates of domestic violence, not 85% male perpetrated, but more like 50%. Also, research finding that women, contrary to what some believe, women are actually as controlling and emotionally abusive as men and, and so forth. So, um, so, and then some of my colleagues, you know, who do batter intervention over the years have at meetings, you know, when they're asked in front of an audience about their, their, their views on domestic violence, they would sort of adhere to the kind of Duluth model, uh, feminist viewpoint. But, but, it, you know, when you talk to them privately, they sort of admit, yeah, I have a lot of, a lot of my, the guys in my groups are in relationships with um, pretty aggressive women and, you know, we struggle to try to help them. So, um, so anyway, for years, I, I was sort of like the lone wolf at a lot of these probation meetings with my colleagues, some of whom sympathized with me, but very few, you know, who would re actually speak up and, um, you know, agree uh, that we should be striving for a more, you know, evidence-based and scientifically based approach to domestic violence treatment. Um, and um, so that's, so now I've been describing sort of my early training and my obstacles. So this is when at some point, uh, maybe probably about five, six, seven years ago, I started thinking about creating an organization of battered intervention providers and other people involved in domestic violence who are interested in uh, sharing their views and their research experience so we can all be uh, developing more um, useful and effective uh, treatments. Now, uh, you know, so I, the, the whole idea of challenging the, the so-called feminist paradigm or the gender paradigm or the Duluth model, all these are sort of um, the same, the same thing. The whole purpose in challenging that is, is, is not for political reasons or some intellectual exercises because uh, my job as a clinical social worker is to help my clients in the best way I can. And I want to have the best uh, tools. And, uh, you know, so I, I believe that the, the sort of the traditional gender paradigm does not provide, you know, us treatment providers with all the tools that we need. It's, it's limited. It helps us to understand and treat a certain subset of offenders. And that would be men who are misogynistic uh, and, uh, you know, are engaged in higher levels of battering, but certainly doesn't apply to a large number of our, our clients. So that's why I started ADVIP. Um, and, uh, you know, there are, I mean, there are other organizations that where providers get together uh, in Oregon. There's one that's been around for a long time in Manmouth County. There's also uh, KBIP in California, but, um, and I've, you know, I've, I've networked with some of these people, but for the most part, these, these ex existing organizations are strongly influenced by that gendered approach to domestic violence. So uh, again, a lot of resistance there to evidence-based practice, which is what ADVIP is all about. So, yeah. So, so is this what prompted you to start ADVIP and, and tell us a little bit about the origins of the organization? Well, so as I said, I, I was kind of a, a, a 
st I felt stymied and frustrated with some of my colleagues. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of, I did a lot of work to try to change minds, but, you know, people resist and they're not always willing to, um, to, to learn, uh, the, my colleagues in the San Francisco Bay area, the, there were many of them who, uh, just didn't care about research at all, uh, you know, and others did, um, but, you know, like they didn't have access to the literature. So I would, I would bring them information, but they, they weren't always interested in reading it or they were busy. So I thought, well, you know, given that I had a lot of, I had a trouble finding this literature and myself, um, I thought, well, you know, I'll, uh, I'm going to put together a, uh, a website where we were going to make research on domestic violence uh, easy to access, uh, up to date, and uh, and transparent. So that's when I had the idea, the idea about creating uh, the so-called partner review state of knowledge project. So uh, if you go to domesticviolenceresearch.org, domesticviolenceresearch.org. Uh, you'll find uh, almost 3,000 pages of current research on domestic violence. And um, so that was the precursor to ADVIP. Once, uh, once we had a, a website with current accurate information on domestic violence, then uh, it was time to create a, an international group of providers like myself who could access PASC and other you know, uh, data, share that information with one another and uh, talk about better ways to uh, intervene in uh, domestic violence cases. So domesticviolenceresearch.org uh, is absolutely free. You can you can download and print out as many of the three, almost 3,000 pages as you'd like or just download some of the summaries and uh, it's pretty accurate. Um, so... Uh, so initially, uh, I uh, uh, I started the advent by sending out invitations to battery intervention providers on a list that I had developed over the years, and uh, my list had about about twenty five hundred uh, uh, regular mail addresses. I sent out a huge mailing, and I told people about advent, and people started to join online. And now we have about one hundred and seventy five members in 17 different countries. And uh, the formal mission of ADVIP is to reduce the rates of intimate partner violence in our communities. So tell me about uh, the membership requirement for ADVIP. Uh, in order to join, are there certain criteria? Uh, you, you need to be working, uh, at least in some capacity, uh, with perpetrators of intimate partner violence, male or female. You could be working with couples. You can be doing better intervention groups, but you need to be at least uh, some of the time be working with perpetrators. Now, you may also be working with victims. You, you may be a mental health professional with a regular general private practice. Um, but if you're only working with victims or if you're an educator or you're only peripherally involved with domestic violence, then... Um, uh, you know, we'd love you to come to our website and read the information on our website and so forth, maybe come to our conferences. But the membership is really 
primarily for people that work with perpetrators, at least on some level. Again, you could be doing family therapy as long as you work with perpetrators at least part of the time. And, uh, and you'll want to learn more about domestic violence. So it's, um, you know, joining ADVIP is pretty simple. You go to domesticviolenceintervention.net. It's domesticviolenceintervention.net. You go to our homepage and click on the join ADVIP link at the top of the page. Um, once you join, then you have access to our blog pages. Uh, you get discounts on a couple of the more well-known scholarly journals on IPV. Um, and then you get to hear uh, all of the podcasts in our podcast series for free. So there's a lot of perks. Um, and if you and you also get to network with other ADVEP members, uh, you know, by email uh, or whatever. Well, tell us about the podcast series. This is podcast number one. What do you plan for this series? Um, right. So this is number one. This is introduced the podcast series and to talk about ADVIP, which I think we needed to do. Uh, but going forward, uh, I'd like to... Uh, I'd like to I'd like to interview, for example, uh, providers who work with Latinos or African Americans, uh, who work with uh, members of the LGBTQ community. There are very few uh, LGBTQ specific treatment programs out there. Um, I'm interested in the topic of female offenders, uh, how to work with them. Uh, what does the research say about what the most effective approaches are for women? If are, should they be treated differently than men? And, and there's a lot of questions around that. Um, working with uh, offenders who have serious mental health issues like PTSD. Uh, working with offenders who have substance abuse problems and whether they sh you should com be combining, uh, for example, a batter intervention with substance abuse treatment. Um, you know, I mean, I'm particularly intrigued by research finding that couples counseling is very effective uh, more effective than the Duluth group, for example, in in working with uh, couples where there's been domestic violence. Um, so, right now, the research that I'm I've been talking about in my presentations has focused on finding common ground uh, amongst treatment models. So, you know, I visited some Duluth type model programs and found um, the ones that I sat in on. Um, the some of the facilitators were really doing great work, and I so instead of looking at the differences uh, between Duluth and CBT or my program, I I thought, well, I'll try to find the similarities, and that, that was a very fruitful path to take. I think uh, finding that uh, that uh, that programs that have a facilitator that really cares about the clients and knows how to engage the, the men or the women in the group format and get the group to work well together. Those, I think that those are the most promising programs regardless of their ideology. So, um, so, you know, and some of the more cutting edge research today, uh, I like to look to interview people about motivational interviewing. Um, uh, you know, uh, also, uh, to interview people about adult attachment and how that's relevant to uh, domestic violence treatment. So, but in general, just looking for more uh, evidence-based approaches 
to work with uh, offenders. So, uh, so tell us, tell how us would a person would find, find out, out more about, about Advent? Okay, so as I mentioned already, Eric, uh, just uh, go to www.domesticviolenceintervention.net. Domesticviolenceintervention.net, that's our website, which you've done a great job uh, administering. Thank you. Uh, you know, take a look at the homepage, uh, you know, look at the research. That's free. See what we're all about. And uh, if you decide to join, the the fee for full membership is 125 and that's for a lifetime membership. If you uh, want a limited membership, then it's $75. It's well worth the, uh, the expense. Well, thank you, John. Uh, I think you've shared a lot of great insights and uh, some of interesting background to uh, ADVIP. And uh, you're doing great work. I've enjoyed working with you over the last several years to, to help get the online services uh, you know, more extended. I know you've been also offering uh, some of your training courses for both professionals and for um, individuals uh, related to anger management. So uh, this was, uh, I think, a really good starting point for your podcast. Thank you for, for taking the time today. Thank you, Eric.